Hello and welcome to another episode of Podcast. This will be our second test as we iron out some of the kinks and try to bring a more organized and interesting podcast to you uh, regarding all things Tau. My name is Calmsword. Well, I go by Calmsword, and I've been an active member of the Tau community for about two decades. And it's my hope that this podcast provides some intrigue and entertainment, as well as knowledge, so that you can expand upon your own lore or just know a little bit more about our favorite Warhammer 40,000 faction, the Tau. So, to begin with, last week on the Tau 40,000 Discord channel, we were discussing the aliens of the Empire, and unfortunately, that original file uh, was corrupted. Um, at the end of the recording. So what I will attempt to do with this episode is kind of recount some of the things that we uh, discussed, as well as bring you as much information as I can about the uh, alien species that kind of are front and center. Let's begin. The interstellar nation known as the Tau Empire is in fact more of a commonwealth uh, in design rather than an empire. Uh, It has dozens of species uh, that make up the fabric of the greater whole. And all of this is overseen by the Tau, who are in turn uh, governed by the mandates set down by the Ethereals. But what does that mean? Okay, so some sources state that the Tau subjugate these species or force them into compliance. Uh, Certainly from the human uh, vis-a-vis imperial perspective, uh, this is all too easy to understand. But the truth is a little bit murkier than that. Um, certainly, you know, the Tau uh, probably have subjugated species in the past, but they do it in a way that is a little bit different. They cajole, coerce, and use diplomacy, which is kind of unusual for uh, Warhammer 40,000 when you've got uh, different species that, like, you know, eat souls, for example. At the same time, we know that the Tao also uh, have this overarching belief in a greater good. This, uh, this philosophy uh, incorporates alien species almost from the get-go, and uh, in future episodes we'll, we'll talk about uh, several hypotheses as to why that might be at the forefront uh, that the Tao evolved from a herd species. So working together uh, is kind of inherent to them. Um, they bring this philosophy to other species and seem to have varying degrees of success, and not always uh, as uh, as grimdark as perhaps some people might like. So there is a hierarchy, though, uh, amongst the amongst the species, and and really, I've I've noticed that there are uh, the division lies um, with uh, with member species who have a distinct role, um, often multi-tiered within the caste systems themselves, uh, and then kind of client species or trading partners. We'll start with uh, the former uh, races like the Nikasar, the Krut, the Nagi. Uh, these could be considered member species. Obviously there are more, um, but these are the ones we know the most about. Um, these races have fully integrated. Um, uh, in the case of the Vespid and Krut, uh, we even have evidence that they have colonial rights, which are granted to them by the uh, by the Tau. This means that as the Tau expand outward into new regions, uh, the Vespid and Krut are allowed to colonize with them. A member race has their technology noticeably augmented by the Tau as well. Uh, the Nikasar, for example, are given upgraded railguns uh, 
on their vessels, which they 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 live on. The Crute were given kind of pulse-accelerated rounds. The Vespid have their crystal-based technology put into kind of a Earthcast housing unit, uh, which uh, which seemingly better uh, is makes them uh, more useful. But you know, it's not only weapons that the allies get. Excuse me, these member races get. They also uh, have their societies uh, augmented. Uh, so, for example, um, the Nikasar, uh, who don't have faster-than-light travel, are allowed to piggyback on larger Tau ships and then carry to new systems. Uh, we know that the Nikasar uh, are, are great explorers, and, and all they really want is to constantly like seek out uh, new uncharted territory. Um, the Tau fulfill that, and, and in return... Uh, the Nikasar uh, provide information and intelligence on uh, new systems. The Nagi, uh, they work with high-ranking Tau officials. Um, this is kind of alarming because uh, they're regarded as mind worms, which, uh, which we only are just getting a little bit of intel on, on what that sounds like, but effectively they have the ability to break minds uh, all the way up to uh, a space marine, although it's, it's regarded as extremely costly. Um, the Nagi travel in these small containment devices. Uh, apparently, uh, regular oxygen is toxic to them. Um, but they work with high-ranking officials, not only on the Tau side, but also uh, amongst other species, um, uh, such as uh, such as high-ranking Guevessa, which are uh, these human helpers, which we'll talk about in a little bit. The crew, meanwhile, uh, they, they operate very freely within the fire cast hierarchy. Uh, there, there are examples of Kroot uh, directing um, Tau warriors in combat, for example. They're one of the oldest allies of, of the Tau, uh, along with the Nikasar. And uh, perhaps the longevity of, of, of service and membership has, uh, has elevated them somewhat. Um, so that they gain more and more respect and and perhaps more more advantages amongst uh, you know the, the, ta the uh, Tau society. We know so little about Tau economy. We uh, who who knows what that could mean, but we do know that the Tau trade heavily in in tech. Um, so perhaps uh, a member species would enjoy other things such as uh, Tau power sources and uh, factories and and uh, food generation, things like that. We also know that there is an exchange of culture. We witness this in several Black Library stories uh, in which fire warriors call out the high esteem that they hold uh, the Vespid and the Crute, with warriors of uh, all these species um, incorporating unit markings, clan markings, uh, as well as trinkets uh, between one another. It's very interesting. It's a, it's a level of communality uh, that is unique to the, to the Tau. Um, much rarer, um, if non-existent, amongst the uh, the other species. So we also know that the member races also have uh, have fact-finding missions that uh, get set up by the Watercast, uh, who send envoys amongst these communities, uh, such as uh, the Crude Homeworlds. Um, while integration within the operation of the Commonwealth is made stronger, specifically Farsight, who incorporated the Vespid uh, as part of his battle tactics with his crisis suit teams during the initial colonization of Cronus uh, before his uh, his disappearance to the uh, far side of the Damocles Gulf. Now, of course, we've seen some conspiracy theories regarding all of this, and we will get into it, uh, specifically with the uh, the Galg, um, who there is some evidence that they might have been forced into the Commonwealth. However, uh, at per the new book Xenologist, which is going to inform a lot of this talk, uh, it seems like it's more 
it seems like that these smaller races, um, be they interstellar, interplanetary, or or bound to their own world, uh, there there seems to be a level of pragmatism uh, that they approach negotiations with with the Tau. Now, the interesting thing about this is that you know most of Warhammer Forty Thousand is told from a human perspective, and humanity in in Warhammer Forty K. Uh, is extremely xenophobic, um, with almost a shoot-on-sight kind of policy, with the exception of the Inquisition, um, which you know bends the bends the rules as well as rogue traders who, you know, openly have alien entourages. But but we don't really know what it's like for alien races in in in, in the 40k uh, universe to operate with one another. It seems like you know if you look at if you look at the Cabal from the 30k books. Um, or you know, or 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 proto-human uh, societies that are that are uncovered by the emperor and his crusade. There there seems to be, sorry, not proto-human, uh, proto-imperial uh, civilizations. We do see that there seems to, that, that there is there is a there is a, a tendency to work together. Uh, the Eldar have worked with several uh, human civilizations. The Kinebrak, uh, for example, uh, as well, who were integral in creating the Interrex, which had a large human population there. Uh, aliens working together, if they're if they're kind of if they're if they're not the big, uh, if they're not the big seven, they seem to they seem to to lean toward. Uh, at least being mercenaries, uh, or, or or just being a little bit less um, heavy-handed. So I, I, I like to use the Tau as an example of kind of what what the 40k universe would be like if you didn't have humans in it. Um, there'd be a lot more uh, working together. There'd be a lot more uh, leaning on one another, or, or or simply just having more interaction. I guess it's better if you are a small fish to swim in a school, right? Uh, maybe a little bit more like uh, a darker version of Star Trek um, or Star Wars. Uh, obviously, uh, without the Emperor, Primarch, Space Marines, etc., you wouldn't have uh, everything that makes the 40k universe so awesome. So good that humans are there, but nice to see. Uh, just it, it's nice to see just an, uh, a window into what it could be like, you know. Um, if humanity wasn't such a big player, so then we have, then we have the uh, these client races, um, and this is this is the biggest argument I have toward people who make the argument that you know the Tau are just you know secretly this uh, they're just as bad as the Imperium uh, or any of the other factions uh, because the Tau actively have a host of species which they don't impress upon. Uh, incorporation or annexation and that and, and for me that that shows that there is a degree of willingness by a lot of the member species you know remember there's there's a difference between client races and member species um, and these client races include uh, races that have trade agreements such as uh, the Ulamathaic League that existed uh, before their near destruction by High Fleet Gorgon um, they were regarded as a, a trading species with uh, with the Tau. Perhaps there was uh, there, there's a mention that there was uh, some listing posts amongst their amongst their worlds, but um, but you know it's good to have that gray area where how how much of the Tau are, are are your friends versus they're getting ready to make a move on you. Um, always good to have gray gray morality um, rather than anything definitive, but. Um, 
But after the Ulamathaic uh, League, there is also uh, the Torellians. Uh, the Torellians are kind of a fan favorite. They're, they're a Saurian race. Uh, there's a lot of mention of cybernetics, for example. Uh, they hate humanity because humanity uh, ex uh, committed exterminatus on their home worlds during the Great Crusade. So it's about 10,000 years ago. Um, there's also mention of several worlds. Every now and again, they'll, they'll pop their heads up. But they, uh, they operate within the, the Commonwealth um, as, as mercenaries. Probably really good mercenaries uh, if you're going up against the Imperium. Uh, and then, of course, most notably, you have the Demiurg, uh, also called the Bentusin, uh, which is in Tausia. I'll, I'll use a, a couple Tausian words uh, over the course of uh, this podcast. But um, the Demiurg uh, are really interesting. Um, first and foremost, they are everywhere. Um, uh, uh, very much like a, a lot of these races. The, you know, the Krut are pretty widespread throughout the galaxy, um, despite their... Uh, the fact that the uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about the crude in a and it's in their own uh, episode. They're so cool, um, uh, but they're pretty widespread throughout the galaxy. Um, the Nikasar as well. The Nikasar have uh, influence in the Ghoul Stars, for example. Um, so not not necessarily every member of a race is aligned with the Tau, even if even if uh, some of them are. But the the Demi are an example of this. They first came up in Battlefleet Gothic. And their vessels uh, have been seen um, all over the segmentums. Um, the two that have become client races of the Tau are the Suryatok uh, and the Therm, with the uh, with the latter having negotiated uh, safe harbor within uh, the Commonwealth space uh, by trading ion technology. So ion technology is extremely advanced. Um, it is the equivalent of Lance technology in the game Battlefleet Gothic, so highly destruct destructive, uh, very, very, very powerful. Um, and uh, it's interesting that the Tau incorporates so much uh, of that ion tech now as, as a kind of like a regular uh, 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 technology. Um, you know, you've got the Pathfinders who have uh, ion tech as well as uh, smaller arms that the crisis suit uses, crisis suits use, um, and then and then finally tanks, uh, all the way up to ships, which um, which is pretty cool. Um, but this is an example. There is no evidence that the Demiurg became a member race. Um, they seem to have several trade agreements there with with mine, mining rights within the stellar cluster. Uh, keep in mind that the Tau. Uh, nation exists predominantly um, across a hundred light year uh, stellar cluster, um, which has natural borders between um, the Damocles Gulf, which separates it from the greater imperial uh, regions, um, and the uh, and is part of the uh, Timbra subsector, as well as the Lathesh sector. Um, uh, that's kind of to the west, if we're if we're th or, or coreward. Um, Rimward, you have the Pertus Rift, which is kind of like a dangerous area. Um, it's rift space. I, I, I would assume that there are uh, warp storms, or at least that's where reality is kind of thin. Um, and then, uh, and then to the south, we it's uh, it seems to that there are just large tracts of space. It could be, it could still be the Damocles Gulf um, that separates uh, uh, the Empire um, from the from the rest of the. Uh, the galaxy 
and and so a lot of these these client races, uh, the demiurge being being uh, the, the best example of them, uh, have uh, have have a need for for safe harbor, for a place that they can they can set up shop um, away from the uh, xenophobic uh, imperium, which is in which, which is the, probably the has the largest footprint in the galaxy. I mean, I know obviously the Tyranids are are incoming, but the Imperium is, is everywhere. They, I mean, they, they own the galaxy. So having a place to hide is, is a necessity for, for a lot of these alien races. Um, additionally, the Demiurg have uh, a deep and abiding uh, animosity uh, against orcs. Uh, now, orcs have been used by the Tau in small uh, uh, smaller uh, engagements um, as mercenaries, um, but the the orcs really, up until the third sphere, um, the orcs were, I would say, were the main opponent of uh, Tau ex- uh, expansion. Uh, with several wars, such as the War of Confederacy, which made the uh, which made Shadow Sun uh, famous, um, as uh, as much as Arkunasha that made Oshova uh, famous. The orcs have kind of always been there, um, and they're they're the they're they're a main opponent. Uh, so to have the Demiurge, um, uh, who who have animosity toward the orcs, this is it, it makes them probably an invaluable ally. Um, but again, no evidence of them being a member race. So so these races seem to to govern themselves. Uh, they don't really they don't really have direct influence from the Ethereals. Um, it seems like their their touch base is closer to perhaps the water cast. Um, and and they and they operate independently. Um, now keep in mind both examples of these uh, these types of races, uh, members and client races. Uh, neither of them are forced to adopt the greater good as a kind of like a state religion or something like that. Um, because the greater good is a philosophy, um, race. I would imagine that races have to at least uh, recognize that there is a greater good. And that the greater good uh, it leans heavily on a, a beneficial peace. Um, very much, if, if, if there are any history majors out there, um, uh, like the co-prosperity sphere that the Japanese kind of proposed um, during World War II. Uh, obviously, it was that was a sham. Um, it seems like the Tao, uh, it, it is not a sham. They, uh, they actually do uh, practice what they preach. The greater good likely incorporates notions of non-aggression. Um, if there are two races that are part of the Commonwealth, they're likely not allowed to fight each other um, or, or, or murder one another um, because that would rock the boat. So again, kind of an interesting uh, relationship that the Tao have amongst their member and client races. Now, <clears throat> I've purposely left out uh, humanity because uh, humanity is a, a an interesting situation, right? Like we uh, in Warhammer Forty Thousand, uh, humanity is is kind of the top dog in the galaxy. But on the eastern fringe, they are they're pretty sp- sparse. Um, you do have the realm of Ultramar, where uh, the Ultramarines have their five hundred worlds. Um, the Tau Empire, much smaller, um, anywhere between uh, two hundred and three hundred worlds uh, colonized. That is. The uh, they're still uh, there are still pockets of uh, human outposts, uh, hum- entire human uh, civilizations existing on these planets that are kind of very far flung. Uh, 
across the eastern fringe. So, so when humanity and the Tau encounter one another, and, and nobody knows when the first contact happened officially, um, it was sometime during the Tau's second sphere. Um, keep in mind, the second sphere uh, lasts for about 2,000 years um, and ended uh, decisively with the Damocles Gulf Crusade, and, and that is when the Imperium uh, engaged in war uh, uh, against the Tau. Um, so I'll say what we, we basically know, and that is that uh, several hundred years ago, when the Tau first crossed uh, the Damocles Gulf, uh, they encountered uh, two worlds, two major uh, civilized planets called Kleist and Garrus. Um, the Tau also colonized uh, several worlds, um, possibly the same systems. Uh, and and we, again, we don't know how long this could have happened uh, for. Um, for example, we know that Cronus uh, was colonized at around this time. Uh, and, and, and there is uh, a lot of evidence, Cronus being, being the, the, the prime example, where uh, Tau colonists and human, uh, let's call them human natives, uh, worked alongside each other, um, had trade agreements, had not a great, di- didn't seem to uh, have any conflict, um, uh, and uh, and 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 seems to, seemed to have been a very a mutually beneficial relationship. I think that the Tao uh, believed that that humanity was a was a civilization in, in decline, and that this that they were starting to kind of encounter the outskirts, uh, the remnants of this once great uh empire um so we have we have examples of generations of uh of humans being uh kind of a client species um where trade is is fairly uh open and and back and forth um there's i mean there's even rumors that uh on necromunda that tau technology managed to get in the hands of uh individuals there so so for a very long time uh, the tower trading with uh, with humanity, probably uh, gaining more information slowly but surely. Um, of course, this all comes to an end when uh, the Damocles Gulf Crusade is launched, and this massive, uh, you know, very stereotypical uh, imperial uh, response to aliens takes place. Uh, uh, evidence suggests that Kleist and Garrus are both uh, purged of of Tau as well as. Uh, most likely executions of the ruling uh, houses. Uh, Kronos is later engaged um, in the interim between there, but but we know that uh, we know how that ends. Uh, the, the tower driven from the planet, um, and uh, worlds like uh, Silicon uh, are 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 taken back, and um, and then of course, and then finally, uh, the crusade crosses the Gulf. And uh, lays siege to, I mean, really the the whole northern part of the stellar cluster, um, culminating in an invasion of Dalith itself. And of course, Dalith is a sept prime planet, so it is the cultural center center for dozens of worlds, uh, and possibly uh, a handful of, of very important star systems. Um, but uh, but we know that that the Damocles Crusade. Uh, also called the Lithesh War, by the way, um, ends with uh, the signing of the Dalith uh, ceasefire. Um, the human element is uh, withdraws from Tau space, um, but in its panic to, I mean, it's you know, all of your casualties happen in the route, 
and hundreds of thousands of Imperial soldiers uh, are stranded across uh, a dozen war zones. Um, these are not only just like regular guardsmen, because you also have evidence of high-ranking individuals uh, such as Lucien Van Diem, uh, who becomes a Guevessa O in the preceding centuries. Um, he, he was actually an, uh, an inquisitor, um, and we don't know very much about him. He, he appears in two stories, I believe, um, uh, one of them which is Broken Sword, an amazing read. I highly recommend it. Um, so, so, the, so humanity goes from being a client species to these thousands of guardsmen who are left behind, and they're actually given colonial rights uh, in the interior uh, of the Commonwealth. Uh, and they become Guevessa, which uh, is translated as human helpers. Uh, and they become a part of uh, the Watercast efforts to convert more worlds uh, to the greater good. Um, and in fact, uh, humanity, unlike a lot of other races, they actually become believers in the greater good. Uh, and they adopt it uh, wholeheartedly. And that's something that, you know, not, not even the Crute really do. The Crute kind of regard the greater good as, uh, as, as very naive. Um, probably because the crew know what Warhammer 40,000 is all about, and uh, and they think of the Tau as just like, uh, you know, that's cute. You think everybody can work together. So not only the Watercast uh, uh, incorporates large amounts of uh, Guevessa, uh, but also uh, the Firecast as well, and they form these elite units called Janissaries. Uh, and it's implied um, by, by, by when, when they're brought up that these are multi-generational human warriors who conceivably might not have ever known uh, of the Imperium or or an emperor, um, the great-grandchildren um, or great-great-grandchildren uh, of those Imperial Guard units that were left behind, or, you know, even potentially older, um, you know, the Eastern Fringe is, is rife with, with Imperial, uh, excuse me, with human colonies um, that are, that are far more ancient than the Imperium of Mankind. So it's, it's conceivable that they, that the Tau could have encountered societies much like, uh, you know, much like the the um, the 30k interacts, you know, that they, that and 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 kind of absorb them into into their into their empire. Now, I will end by saying that in recent developments of of lore, uh, the Tau have kind of taken a harder nosed uh, approach to humanity. Uh, several examples, uh, you have human uh, colonies and human populations uh, having joined the the Commonwealth to rejecting it, uh, going back to worship of the emperor and worship of religion, and then of course obviously adopting xenophobia and, and, and then killing uh, their former allies. Um, you also have uh, the exterminatus event on Mughalath Bay, um, in the third sphere, which, which effectively uh, halts the third sphere. Um, and uh, these are important to note because uh, it seems as though, and of course, you know, and everybody wants to talk about the fourth sphere, we're going we're gonna to dedicate a, a, an episode to that. Um, but it does appear that Tau acceptance of hu humans uh, wholeheartedly into their empire might have slowed down, and maybe they're becoming a little bit more uh, a little bit more choosy um, and, and, and perhaps a little bit less naive when it comes to the, the great variety that humanity has when it comes to, you know, when it comes to dealing with them. You know, uh, the Crute, for example, um, the Crute will not eat Tau flesh. Uh, that's part of their, that was part of the signing of their 
entrance into the Commonwealth by Angkor Prak, uh, after the after the Tao saved their civilization from the orcs, um, uh, and uh, and those crew that that don't want to serve directly with the with the Commonwealth, they actually steer clear uh, of of Tao space. So I think that that's pretty that's pretty interesting, right? Um, the Tau probably, and, and the Tau know that there are crew operating beyond that agreement, but it seems like they're, they're kind of, they understand that that's, you know, that's part of, that's part of the way that the crew society works. And if they poke too much at that, that might, that might hurt the overall, overall relationship with humanity. You know, it seems like you can be friends with them for generations, for hundreds of years. And then all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> Uh, a space marine shows up and everybody remembers that they are uh, loyal citizens of the throne and uh, and they'll and they'll purge you <laughs> so humanity is an interesting uh, bucket uh, to uh, to kind of think about when it comes to from the Tau perspective but let's let's move on let's let's move on to the Nikasar so so the Nikasar are are, are a really fascinating race. Um, they are both described as uh, as uh, having avian or bird-like skulls uh, in a Death Watch short story, which talks a little bit about them, and uh, and yet they are also described as being ursine uh, or bear-like. Um, I've also seen uh, some uh, some very very uh, early uh, work by Cirillo, um, who who. I believe did did some uh, concept art of them, and they and they look more like uh, kind of floating elephants. Which, I, me personally, I think that's the coolest. And I'll uh, I'll post some pictures of all of it. And you can you can make up your your mind yourself. So so the Nikasar are this uh, they're an incredibly potent telekinetic uh, race of psychers. Uh, uh, so much so that uh, they are able to uh, influence uh, the momentum of their ships, their starships. They're they're entirely space bound. Uh, uh, they're called DAOs, uh, D-H-O-W-S, uh, which connect uh, into these caravans and form life fleets. They don't have a means of faster-than-light travel. Um, these these family units uh, all kind of uh, uh, huddle up together and, and uh, uh, go dormant. It's unclear how they do that, but they go dormant and they take turns navigating deep space. Um, so uh, that can take, obviously, thousands if not millions of years. Uh, but they're they're nomads by choice, um, and it, it, it's uh, assumed that they abandoned their their homeworld a long time ago. Um, they love uh, they love the stars. Um, they're kind of they're kind of a lovely species um, in that regard. They're interesting because uh, not only are they telekinetic, but they also seem to be empaths as well. They have an understanding of the demons that live within the uh, in the warp, and they seem to have a natural uh, ability to to avoid them. Which is which is really interesting. Um, there are a couple of Reddit articles and and fan theories that describe the Nikasar as like hobbits that they're just naturally uh, uh, able to kind of resist the warp, um, which is interesting. Um, but I brought up that word empath. Um, the Nikasar uh, in a Death Watch short story, I, I believe it's in the Omnibus. They are said to have the ability to create sympathetic memories. So specifically, when the Space Marines are talking about how this is. They consider the Nikasar to be uh, one of their, you know, higher level threats. It's because the Nikasar are able to create false feelings and false memories in a space marine. So we all know that space marines, you know, they're taken around the ages of like 10 or 13. 
Um, they're turned into these super soldiers. Uh, they have their memories basically blanked, uh, and uh, and they have you know, there's a lot of hypnotherapy and <laughs> and you know all of these all of these failsafes to make them make them the 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 uh, the angels of death, um, and. And that's that's all well and good, but they, they kind of they lose who they were. I, I believe Dante, uh, the chapter master of the Blood Angels, is one of the few uh, space marines that kind of can remember his life before. Well, when encountering the Nikasar, the Nikasar are able, uh, at least in the case of this one space marine, to make him remember the face of his mother. Now, what's interesting about that is that the space marine regards that he does not remember his mother. He has no memory of her. However, the Nikasar is able to basically create a false memory of what um, what his mother could be uh and i can imagine that that racks a space marine with all kinds of strange emotions that they're not used to feeling um it's probably completely demoralizing um and uh and that's and that's really interesting when thinking about uh you know super soldiers that say that they they do not fear fear um they or that they have no fear um to have them remember the face of a, a mother that, that they don't remember um has got to be has got to be terrifying. Um, so I think the Nikasar are super cool. Um, there was a minor, minor retcon that happened with them. Um, so in the Battlefleet Gothic books, they are said to be the first contact race of the Tau, who encounter them on the edges of the uh, the Tau system, um, just as the uh, just as they're starting to explore the nearby uh, stars with their skip drives. Now, I will say to the listener, I ascribe to the fact that. Uh, up until very recently, the Tau uh, had warp travel, um, or or something like warp travel, where they skip across the face of the across the face of the warp. Uh, being that they don't have navigators, they can't truly enter the warp. Um, everybody's got a preference. I'm just letting you know mine. Um, if you have an interstellar empire, you kind of have to have uh, faster than light travel. Um, especially if you're fighting against uh, races that do have faster than light travel. I mean, that would be like uh, knights in shining armor trying to fight a guy in an Apache. You know, it just doesn't matter how big your army is, the guy with the helicopter is going to win. So, so okay, so the Nikas are, 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 are encountered um, while the tower is setting up a, 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 a orbital outpost. And although the they don't ever expand on what this means. I, I do, again, find it very interesting. But there is some kind of, quote, misunderstanding uh, during the first contact uh, uh, first contact event. Um, uh, and, and, and it kind of flares up into conflict. Um, the war is very brief, and the Tau are successful with their own technology coming out ahead of the Nikasar. And they and they draw peace terms where the Nikasar join them, becoming becoming their scouts and uh, and conceivably uh, entering into the next conflict the Tau find themselves in, which is when they encounter the orcs uh, in the form of uh, the pirates uh, that are around town. Uh, and so they would go on to engage with uh, warlord Scraghertz, uh, who uh, is this pirate lord, um, and that and that represents the first major interstellar conflict uh, between the Tau uh, and another race uh, as they seek to colonize the Tau system, uh, which is the uh, the closest star system that the Tau end up uh, colonizing uh, first. It's their first uh, their first interstellar uh, colony. So we know that 
the Nikasar then, as the Tau, I guess, encounter the Imperium um, and know about uh, the Imperium's uh, deep loathing for psychers, uh, the Nikasar kind of take a back seat and the Tau keep them away from Imperial space. I don't believe that this is true anymore. Uh, and it seems as though with the advent of the third sphere, I would I would say that the Nikas are likely at the forefront at a lot of these conflicts, um, especially because they they are kind of the vanguard, right? They're the uh, they're the they're the they're the forerunners or the scouts of the rest of the of the town. I really do think that there's a lot of uh, that, that there's a lot of opportunities with the Nikasar, um, especially with their ability to uh, use empathy um, as well as telekinesis. I mean, even 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 their ability to understand uh, that there are denizens in the warp, for example, um, I just, they're a fascinating species. But you know, they also represent uh, kind of a minor retcon because in recent codexes, um, we, we, we learn about the Pactroon. And I'm only gonna briefly talk about the Pactroon because there's, there's just not that much to go on. But it says that they are the first sentient species to willingly join uh, in the Commonwealth. I find it difficult to amend the fact that the Pactroon uh, met the Tau that early, especially because uh, Borkan, um, Borkan Prime, uh, which is their homeworld, uh, as they as they die, uh, they that becomes the center for a new Tau sept. Um, the Pactroon are never described. Um, all we all we really know about them is that they they con they, they, they contracted some kind of plague uh, or disease uh, that the top that the tower immune to um, which again uh, and this is a this is another kind of doorway into you know are the Tau uh, evil and manipulative um, and and I and I'm not opposed to grimdark Tau I just don't think that this fits in with the rest of their the rest of their mo Um uh, to deliberately exterminate an entire race, there has to be a reason uh, more than just that they wanted to live on Borkan. We don't uh, simultaneously we don't know very much about Borkan except it's a, a center for for learning now in the modern empire. I, I would I would need something else to think that they would just out of hand design a disease to wipe out uh, an entire sentient species. But I do think, and this is very much in my opinion, I do think that the Tau, uh, which are have been regarded since the book Xenology as being a surprisingly healthy species uh, that uh, do not have a disposition towards sickness, that have a, a very uh, a very robust, if if short lifespan, um, with very few years that are that are experienced with frailty. So you know, humanity, you could you could make the argument that after like mid fifties, sixties. You know, our bodies start to, to start to fall apart. We start we start developing lots of problems. We need to rely on uh, medicines and and um, and lifestyle to keep us to keep us going. You know, hopefully for another 30, 40 years. The Tau seem to have a very robust life cycle, and then very few years at the end of their life in which they become frail. Um, so imagine if you could, uh, if you will, we know that they have a very short childhood. For example, like early years. Um, about eight. Imagine if you had eight on the other side, and then uh, for about forty years of of uh, of what the equivalent would be of like your twenties and thirties. Um, that seems to be how the the tower regarded um, that, and that they their blood is 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 extremely well filtered through their heart, uh, which which also serves as a liver. I've had a lot of medical people tell me that that's crazy, but you know they're aliens. 
Um, <laughs> um, I think that the Tau have had uh, a disease that might have uh, that they might have become immune to, and I think that that it accidentally was contracted to the Pachtrun. That's me personally, um, just because uh, there needs to be more of a reward um, rather than just just a planet, um, especially when there are so many. Uh, uh, there are so many planets that that are within a healthy biosphere uh, of of Tau norms in the area. Um, hundreds of planets that they end up colonizing, and that, and we know that the Earth, Earth cast eventually become master terraformers um, or Tau formers, if you will. Um, but that I, I think if I think if I I had to if push came to shove and I had to head cannon myself out of uh, trying to understand the retcon, uh, it does say that the Nikasar were kind of annexed or forced into compliance um, with the Tau. So it's still possible that they were the first contact species and that the Pachtrun were the first species to just willingly join, um, much like the Vespid, for example, or uh, or the Galg, um, or, you know, kind of, or the Crude, for that matter. Um, but we'll get to those in a little bit. So, um, so recently... And I guess I guess I just brought up the Vespid, so why don't we talk about them? Uh, in the Xenologist book uh, that just came out, the Vespid got a, got a bunch of really juicy lore. I highly recommend the book; it's it's fantastic. Uh, it's written by Darius Hinks, who who uh, who wrote, uh, or I guess is continuing to write the Blackstone series. Uh, really, really, he's got he's got a a very soft approach to Warhammer 40k, um, uh, but but he I think he understands how you have to have more doors to knock on not not a lot of certainty a, a lot more questions to to ask um rather than answer uh, really good stuff so so let's talk about the vespid um first and foremost the vespid or malcor as they're known in Tausia, uh originate from a gas giant that is in the deyanoi De sept um please remember that a sept is not a single planet it's not a single star system it can be many star systems um, it can it it it, it is uh, it is a a neighborhood of colonies that that then turn to a central colony uh, that informs them you know kind of their culture their trajectory um, their leadership. So before the Tau discovered the Vespid, uh, the Vespid had already achieved world peace um, in in a pre space spaceflight civilization. The gas giant has uh, floating islands. Uh, uh, that the Vespid would live on. Um, they they have wings. They 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 fly. Uh, they they're expert flyers. Um, but they're uh, the, we're going to call them colonies because they're very much like uh, bees or or wasps. Um, they were centered around uh, individual floating islands, uh, implying that there was conflict between them. But uh, but again, before the Tau uh, reached them, they had achieved a level of peace via uh, the notion of mutually assured destruction. Um, their weapons, these these crystals, the highly radioactive crystals, were so powerful that they knew that if they turned them on one another, um, they would just they would effectively destroy their civilization, probably uh, kill their whole species. Um, so kind of already interesting right off the bat. Um, the race is divided very much, like I said, like bees or wasps. Um, they have strain, uh, strains, of smaller beings, um, these make up. Uh, these could be called stingwings. Uh, not sure if this is just their warrior class um, or warrior caste. Excuse me. Um, uh, but 
but then they have alphas or uh, leadership strengths, uh, which which end up leading these these uh, these smaller uh, these smaller Vespid. Uh, not sh- that we know that there's a another type of Vespid called princes um, that have appeared in White Dwarf. Um, uh, not sure what these guys do, um, but they they're somehow involved in the the successful co- uh, colonization. Of, of a world. Um, we do know that the Vespid colonize hand in hand with the Tau. Um, and and then last we have the Queens. And what's so interesting about the Queens is that they are actually the heavy lifters of this society. They uh, are, lar- we know that they're larger um, and that they alone can, can survive going down into the depths of these floating islands to harvest the largest and most potent of these crystals. Um, which seems to be some somehow... Uh, important to this race, um, which it's mentioned in Xenologists that they that they accumulate these these crystals, um, which is which is which are highly regarded by the society. But we don't know very much more than that. Um, the the reason I find it interesting is if you had successfully figured out that you wouldn't uh, you can't go to war with each other because you'll destroy one another. Uh, but you're still mining these volatile crystals. It would be like if humanity decided to. Uh, you know, we had world peace, but we still mine uranium because we want to uh, look at it. Um, of course, now that I've said it out loud, I guess it maybe they just use it to power uh, their cities. It's very much like how humanity powers uranium. Anyway, not to get sidetracked. So I find it really interesting that the queens of this society they are they are the major laborers, and usually that's not the case, right? Normally, the leadership of any race uh, kind of sits back and, and everybody else does the work. So in Xenologist, we know uh, it, it's told, by the way, from the perspective of a rogue trader, and he, in turn, is interpreting uh, stories that he hears from Grek, his crude, uh mercenary ally. And Grek has served alongside the Vespid before. And actually, it's, it's a very emotional part of the book where he regards the Vespid as a noble and valiant race, and that even though they couldn't understand one another, the Vespid picked him up and flew him out of danger uh, even being even though he's wounded along the way and so Grek has a has a really uh, has, has a kind of a soft spot um, for the Vespid which I find interesting uh, as well because fire warriors all the way up to crisis suit pilots which are regarded as the elite uh, hold the Vespid in a higher than like in the highest uh, regard um, even more so than the crude. And for me, this is all evidence that the Vespid weren't weren't coerced into joining the Empire. Um, I don't think that they just slipped on these communion helms and were brainwashed. I, I don't think that that, in the long term, I don't think that that's tenable, right? Like, eventually brainwashing fails. Um, brainwashing doesn't make people self-sacrificing. I think what happened was, and, and by the way, these communion helms were introduced by the Tau because when the Tau arrived uh, to uh, their homeworld, uh, the Vespid were so completely alien that they weren't able to the 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 watercast envoys weren't able to communicate with them. Um, then uh, the, te- uh, the 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 ethereals have this idea to build these communion helms and um, they attach onto them and almost instantly the race like f- kind of falls in line. Um, to to imperial and human conspiracy theorists the world over who say that this is just another example of uh, the Tau being uh, secretly evil. I don't think that that's the case. If you look at the Vespid and you look at the way that they act and you and you look at their society, I think what happened was is that 
Uh, for me, the Vespids saw in the Tau a race not unlike their own, a division of uh, labor between the castes, uh, a leadership uh, caste that, that actually does do work and, and does do a lot of the heavy lifting in society. If you look at Ethereals, they're constantly uh, putting themselves at risk um, and uh, embody what the, what the greater good is supposed to be. And if you're a race like the Vespid were that had already come to the conclusion of mutually assured destruction, if you saw an interstellar species arrive and you saw that they had, you know, uh, heavy duty guns, um, you're, you're living on a floating island that, and, and you don't, and you don't want to go to war with your neighbor because if you do, you'll both cancel each other out. Imagine as a species, they witness interstellar aliens coming in uh, they could potentially just wipe out their civilization from orbit it would be a very it would be a knee-jerk reaction for a race that had already achieved that level of peace to realize there's no point in us fighting this they could just wipe us out and so that's why i i think that the vespid uh willingly joined the the commonwealth and then and then became became honestly probably the 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 member race that is held in the highest esteem. Um, a little bit, and, and if you want to get grimdark about it, probably because they kind of view that, uh, as, as a couple members in the conversation uh, last week brought up, uh, this is a gun to your head. Um, whether the tower know that they're holding it or not, the Vespid are know that if they don't perform well, that theoretically the Tau could just just wipe their species out in 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 kind of a day without ever even having to engage the Vespid uh, in their on their home turf. You just nuke them from orbit, or I guess railgun them from orbit. So so suddenly that makes a really interesting uh, dichotomy where where the Vespid individually realize that if they don't perform at the highest level that they that they possibly can, um, that they uh, that they could, they, they they could, conceivably their civilization could be wiped out. So that's not that's not being a good uh, citizen of the Commonwealth. Uh, that's being a hostage um, on an individual level across an entire species. Um, I think it's very interesting, and I think that there's, I think there's a lot of room for growth. I I uh, I've, I've also uh, in in talks with some of the other members um, been told that I should also bring up the fact that. At least based on the miniature, the communion helm actually looks like it removes part of the Vespid head, perhaps the antennas, um, and that this could be uh, indications that that the uh, leadership strain has to has to undergo some kind of surgery um, that permanently marks them, uh, and and could be considered like a, a mantle, uh, even like a mantle of heroes, which which the Taos seem to be kind of not obsessed with but it seems like i mean the firecast really wear their scars as points of honor and we know that the uh, based on that sort uh, that that a uh, broken sword story that if humans want to f speak full tausia um they actually have to have uh, some kind of surgery done on their throats on their on their vocal cords L luckily enough we have we have a couple members who messaged the original author and he said uh that 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 is because um the human voice can't hit certain tones uh, that the Tao voice can. So that's kind of interesting. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm more of the idea that that that, that is what the Vespid are. Um, and I could probably keep going on and on about them. But 
we're kind of running out of time for today. So I'll I'll just end with this. Not 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 all of these ideas are mine. Um, uh, in fact, a lot of the best ones are are members from the community uh, that is growing uh, on on Tau. Uh, by the way, that's Tau forty point zero zero zero, the Discord server, uh, as well as the the original advanced Tau Tactica community, um, the Tau Online community. Before that, I'm a big believer. Uh, in, tau- in, in, in fan communities. I think that it influences the hobby as much as the hobby influences us. Um, and uh, I've been a longtime member of, uh, of it. I'm happy to say it's, it's, it's gotten me through a lot of, a lot of parts of my life. Uh, so uh, I want to give credit where credit is due as often as I can. And, uh, and, 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 and these ideas come from just conversations uh, that happen organically. What I'm trying to do with this podcast is to communicate it to a broader community, so that honestly, so that we just get bigger and we just get uh, we get more involved and uh, we have more uh, good discourse, good conversation, um, good debate. Um, because because when that happens, just the the hobby just gets so much better. I can't tell you how many conversions I've made as a result of uh, of conversations uh, with my with my fellow hobbyists. So. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, again, my name's Calmsword. Uh, if you would like to send me any uh, comments or requests, uh, I will be doing uh, one of these uh, every couple of weeks uh, centered on another topic. Uh, I know that we only got to the Vespid, so next week's topic will cover will cover some of the, the lesser known races uh, of the Tau. And then, uh, and then we'll kind of start at the beginning with, uh, with a primer on, uh, on what the Tau are from at least one community community's perspective on what they are. <laughs> Thank you so much, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful day. If you were painting, hope you got it done. If you were converting, hopefully you didn't nick yourself too badly. It's uh, It's been my pleasure, and I look forward to engaging with you in the future. <laughs>